Welcome to Dietitian Boss. I'm Libby Rothschild, your host and fellow dietitian. I'm a coach to my fellow female colleagues all around the world. I help you get leads and turn prospective clients into paying customers using online marketing and social media strategies that focus on sales. Hello and welcome. I'm here tonight with Megan Niskern, the owner of Mac Nutrition Services, LLC, the consulting nutrition director for Via Mar Health in West Palm Beach, Florida, and the lecturer at Arizona State University, teaching graduate and undergraduate nutrition and leadership courses. Megan is a certified eating disorder dietitian and approved supervisor through the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. She is a current past chair for the Behavioral Health Nutrition DPG through the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and the Phoenix Ambassador of the International Federation of Eating Disorder Dietitians. Megan's strengths are working with complex eating disorder clients, providing RD supervision in the area of eating disorders, substance use disorders, and mental health, along with speaking and presenting all over the country through a non-diet and healthy at every size lens with the ultimate goal of helping improve our relationship to our bodies and to food. Welcome to today's episode. I just want to make sure that I list uh, Megan's website, which is www.makrd.com, and you can find her on Instagram at Megan, M-E-G-A-N-K-N-I-S-K-E-R-N, and the rest of that information you'll find in the show notes. So hello and welcome. Hi, Libby. I mean, thank you so much for having me today, and I kind of love how we connected with each other, too, and how topical it is to what we're going to be discussing today, so I'm really excited. Yeah, well, I'm excited, too, and thank you for making time. I'm honored to have you on the show. Uh, For those of you listening, the context of of how we got to this point is I was tagged in an Instagram story from one of Megan's students, and I saw that I had been like on a, a... something about my podcast episode and I didn't exactly understand the context, but I reached out to this person who tagged me and she said it was, uh, my podcast was part of an assignment for a nutrition course. And I was so like blown away by it. And I was really happy. So I reached out, I said, let me talk to your professor. And then I invited Megan on the show because I first wanted to get to know Megan and introduce her to you all. And then I wanted to talk about, you know, specific questions regarding how to use podcasting as, you know, part of education and leadership courses, which Megan will talk a little bit more about today. So that is a fun story, a very fun story of how we connected and and the power of social media. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And how we can all just be interconnected, even without being near each other. It's just one of the cool ways that, one of the cool benefits, I think, of the dietetics profession right now is just how much we can be interconnected through social media and those different avenues. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, really powerful. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do as a lecturer and and what it's like being a lecturer and the courses that you teach, because I think it's really cool that you do leadership courses. And then, you know, if you could talk a little bit about entrepreneurship and how you involve, bring that com- uh, topic into conversation a little bit more for the listeners, because I don't even know if everybody knows that that is a course that's offered in dietetics. Absolutely. So I teach what is traditionally utilized in all of the DPD, the dietetic practice requirements for RDs. I teach a management and leadership course, which is kind of standard and and necessary. However, I find that it's a course that oftentimes students come into and they're like, oh, I don't want to take a course on management. You know, it's like, I'm just going to be defining key terms and concepts. And I think it's actually one of the funnest classes that students can take. And what I've really focused on 
kind of coming in to teach this class after somebody else had taught it at Arizona State University for years was how do we make this something that's more exciting? Because I found that a lot of my opportunities in my career didn't always come from a traditional job search, right? It came from putting myself out there or asking for something or um, creating something that somebody found relevant and necessary. And I want students to not go into dietetics or into nutrition or into food service or into restaurant management thinking that it has to all fit into a specific box. Because right now, as a profession, we don't fit into a box. We're creating a lot of our own opportunities. And that also includes that entrepreneurship. So if we can take students and really allow them to understand the basis of what management and leadership is, then we can build them up as RDs. They can be better RDs. They can have better careers. They can have better success. And if we teach them entrepreneurship on top of that, they can be innovative, they can be creative, and all of that really comes together to create passion for our career. So me talking with you now or me creating this assignment, none of it feels like a whole lot of work for me because I'm in my career, I'm in my passion. I get to do what I love doing. And I will be honest, teaching was not a part of my ever plan. Like I didn't see teaching as a part of my career path, but I had kids life circumstances happen. My super stressful job wasn't fulfilling me. And so here I end up teaching. And I found that the more that I put into my teaching, the more that I put into teaching students about management and leadership was kind of a lot of my career before I came into teaching. If I can do that through firsthand knowledge, if I can do that through giving them firsthand experience, then they're going to feel a lot more connected to what they can or can't do or what they love or what they don't love so much. And one of the ways that I can do that is through podcasts. So that kind of, to me, became one of the key features. Right now, Arizona State University just happens to be one of the largest dietetics programs in the country, meaning we're producing a large number of RD-eligible students. And so if we look at the field as it was traditionally, we saw a lot of food service, a lot of clinical nutrition, a lot of community, public health, that type of stuff. But now, again, as I was mentioning earlier, we're seeing so much more growth. And if you don't have a basic understanding of entrepreneurship, of business development, of budgeting, of that kind of stuff, you're going to feel like you're 15 steps behind a big idea. So if we can start setting students up early to understand their passions, to understand what their areas of interest are, and give them some actual tools that they can start using to implement that as soon as they're ready, then we're going to have a lot more success and outcomes with these professionals, these students that aren't just going into a job just to go into a job, but finding their area of passion a lot earlier. I love that. And when I took my, you know, um, management class, there was no talk about entrepreneurship. So is that something that is, uh, tell me, talk to, walk me through that. Is that something that you had suggested? Is that common practice? Yeah, I just started doing it. And in fact, just a couple of months ago at one of our large faculty meetings, we've decided to add an entire class of entrepreneurship. So we will be creating in the next year. I don't think I'm teaching it, but I'm collaborating on it, an actual entrepreneurial class, which I mean, 
is so important, even in just giving resources for where to go, because every state, every you know community has different rules for engagement and and um, and practice. And I think that a lot of the entrepreneurship wouldn't have been as much on the radar for these young students um, or professionals who are coming back to school, for that matter, if social media wasn't such an avenue of connecting to those potential referents. I think it was just too daunting for a lot of people in the past. And now the ability to connect and to hone in on kind of what your areas of specialty are, you can really create that professional niche that like speaks to you and then also brings in the right clients. I mean, and I'm not even going to start going in on all that because Libby, that's your area of expertise. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's really kind of been something that I saw a demand for without being asked for it now. And now students are really starting to ask for it. That's incredible that there's a resource that I love that you, it sounds like just saw a need and did it and then it's expanding. And I I didn't realize it makes sense that Arizona, that your school has a high percentage of students that are already eligible. So it's a great opportunity and location for that class to be taught and administered as a whole. I don't know if you know this or if you're involved in, in, from the Academy, what is, is the Academy or there other schools, whether they're, you know, with a lot of, whether there's a high volume of already eligible students or not, what is everybody else doing? Is everybody else catching up the way that you are and how do other people get involved in, in expanding this incredibly important topic through the future generation of dietitians? So, so important. The other cool thing, ASU really bases their reputation on being the number one innovation university in this in the country, really. So we get a lot more free reign as academics to be creative, which is so I'm so grateful for. The academy, I think, spends a lot of its time. They actually have a really amazing leadership program that can be done. It's a paid program that has multiple parts that actually help people to hone in on their leadership skills. What makes a good leader? How do you um, lead a effectively. But they don't have a lot about entrepreneurship. And what I really think they do is push those sessions at the Food and Nutrition Conference Expo. And -hmm. they encourage people to go to that fancy conference where I see and I've taken away a lot of the different um, entrepreneurial uh, takeaways have come from fancy for me. Um, And again, I only really attend those for my students. And I'm trying to learn because I'm not that's not really a huge part of what I do. But I find that that's mostly the academy seems to be leaving it right now up to the professionals that have enough experience to be able to go out and and speak on it. The irony of that is that are there (laughs) other areas that we're missing in dietetics that the academy isn't getting on? And it it is frustrating um, in a lot of ways, working with such a large organization and seeing such a need because, and this is something we'll talk about later, but I'll kind of jump to it because it's relevant, but like- You don't teach on anything related to mental health, behavioral health, eating disorders, and substance use disorders, not to mention like body image issues. We really do take dietetics from a traditional kind of sick person perspective instead of a whole person approach. I always thought of alcoholism. Let's use that as an example. I thought of alcoholism as like, how do I fix this person's liver, right? Or like, how do I fix the ascites? Or how do I fix this problem? 
I didn't think about what's this whole person doing and how are they eating every day and how are they going to continue to fuel themselves and are they going to stay in their addiction? Are they going to get help? And so a lot of how we teach dietetics comes from this very literal, intentional perspective. But what we know about working with people is we are anything but that. So there still continues to be a number of different gaps within how we educate RDs effectively at that academy level. And the academy really is connected to the DPD and the CDR, the Commission on Dietetic Registration, even though they're separate organizations, you know, they are collaborating. So there is one of the takeaways I wanted to say is professionals need to get involved in the academy, even if you don't want to be, the more voices they have, the more influence that we can put out there, then the better, better things actually end up happening. And the same goes for students. Students have a very discounted rate to be a member of the academy, and they can use that membership as an opportunity to express what they have not received in their education and kind of really continue to push the academy forward. Yeah, and and your students are lucky to have you, and I would consider what you're doing and um, just having that conversation and expanding the conversation about entrepreneurship is a great example of how professionals can get started or can can get uh, can engage in the conversation with um, expanding this topic and really helping provide education and resources for the future generation of dietetics. My concern is that I don't know if there is I don't know the numbers or the stats, but like I'm I'm concerned if there's enough professionals that are comfortable and um, have enough energy and desire to teach entrepreneurship in the way that there is the demand for it. So I'm not sure. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. And I think that it by giving the academy only so much control over it, it allows for those that have done it successfully to kind of be the leaders in that area. And I think that's where the academy should take note is they don't need to recreate the wheel, but how do they involve more people that have already done really good things and create a referral source for that? And a lot of people don't have time and resources to give back or to teach those things. And that's where students need to be really vocal once they finish their education and reviewing the process and talking about what needs have been met and what needs haven't been met. Because honestly, the academy is going to listen to students a lot more often times than they'll listen to us professionals because those students are the ones that are going to keep going through and keep kind of being a part of their customer base because you don't have to be a member of the academy. Um, I wasn't for a number of years, but it's one of the biggest governing bodies that we have and how we operate as dietitians and how we function. And they need to, they need to step it up with the times. Yeah. And there's really helpful practical tips you're giving us. And I, it makes sense, but I didn't even think that like when people complain, especially the younger generation, meaning those who are either students or new dietitians, uh, it would really make sense for those of you who are newer in the field to get more involved. And we all need to get involved, but I really like how you're saying that that voice of of that person who needs the most help, like to reach out to the Academy and participate and take action. um, I think that that is really a helpful practical tip that can maybe help make some, some dents. My concern is I'm not sure how long it'll take, (laughs) but that's another I joke all the time. I'm like, I'm going to, my life's work is going to be to get X, Y, and Z done before I die. Like these are all things that should happen tomorrow, but like, I'm going to continue to be involved until, you know, I see these shifts happening and that's what I'm willing to give. You know, that's like what I prioritize as a professional and that gives me passion and keeps me involved. That's incredible. 
And uh, it sets an example for all other professionals and professors and, and academia to get involved in the way that you have. And it's so exciting for students to have that opportunity and to get a head start by not only being vocal earlier on in their education, but also participating in the dialogues before you're ready. And that's, I think that's incredible to have those opportunities. Can you talk a little bit about assigning the podcast to your students and what value that brings and how that ties in with entrepreneurship in your course. Yeah. So I am really lucky. I teach a lot of online courses and I teach what are called hybrid courses. So it's half in person, half online. And I'm obsessed. I love that format so much because we really do operate so independently, but then in the classroom, we can all come together and do practical stuff. But after, you know, I've been teaching for five plus years and after teaching for a while, the same classes, you know, leadership management, I teach a graduate eating disorders and addictions class. Um, I do basic nutrition. You do kind of wonder, am I going to get sick of teaching this all? It doesn't change that frequently, but it changes enough. And I can be creative enough with how I I present content that students can really get involved. And so one of the things that I realized is they're only hearing my voice. I'm the only voice besides the textbook and the articles that they read on really important topics. And we all bring our own perspectives, our own biases, our own priorities into when we speak. And I'm hyper aware of what I'm sensitive to and what I really think is important coming from an eating disorders and substance substance use disorder and mental health background. But my view isn't the only view, and it's not the most important view necessarily. So by offering podcasts as an alternative assignment, that's really just about doing the work, not about the takeaways. So by listening to a podcast, they're not going to be quizzed on it. They're not going to have exam questions, but I'm going to know whether you listen to it. And you can do a review of it. They have a number that they get to pick from in each section. So we do two different podcast sections and there's five for them to choose from. They have to pick two. If they absolutely despise everything I picked, which has only happened once so far, then they can pick something else. Just let me know. I keep them a little longer. I keep them towards the 45 minute to a one hour because I want them involved in hearing these people's perspectives and where they're coming from and what they've seen and what they're doing and why. And not from my interpretation of it, but from their own voice, their own view. And honestly, I started doing it and students were immediately excited. I only have a handful that have either never listened or have tried and didn't love it. And they can suffer through it for, you know, some easy points. It's no, not hard to do. But I also know we're learning by through traveling, through commuting, um, on the treadmill, out for a hike. Like, I don't want you to have to learn in one environment in one way or from one voice. So these podcasts were just like the most natural way for me to kind of create additional voices. And um, I have to say, students are really loving it. And again, I'm not quizzing them on it. This isn't, you know, like gospel. This isn't text. It's none of that but it's a good way for them to think about deeper concepts. I wish that I had a professor assign me podcasting when I was in school. I think it's such a smart way. And I, I love that you're, you're coming from an angle where you want the students to hear voices from multiple different backgrounds. And that's, that's a great way to learn and a great way to get excited. So I think it's, Really cool that you're doing this, and I love hearing the the feedback from the students. So there's always going to be some pushback, of course. Is there a reason why you chose to assign podcasts and not YouTube videos or Instagram feeds? Or like, why that social platform? Is it just because the long form dialogue? 
It really did come down to that. Um, They do do a few other things where they take a look at their social media from a professional avenue. So, you know, you're not in college anymore. You're going to have other people looking at your social media. What do you need to do about it? And what does it say about you? But I also, and I do another assignment where they have to critically evaluate others' social media accounts. And so really kind of looking at what is their background? What is their expertise? What are they trying to accomplish with their social media feed? Because we can tend to really be so brief in our interactions on social media that we can make really quick assumptions that might not even be accurate or true. So really taking the time to evaluate what they're trying to accomplish through social media and who the people that they're interacting with are trying to accomplish. How do they create the most effective space for what they're using social media for? And so we do a little bit around that, but really the idea behind the podcasts was that additional voice, that additional perspective. And it's so funny how critical they get by podcast two or three. They're like, oh, this person did not have their questions prepared. You could totally tell, you know, they're, they're like really into it by the time we've moved through some podcasts. And I'm hoping, and I really try to do a huge variety because I'm hoping they'll find things that they connect with that maybe help support them as they continue to move on in their professional career. I listen to a number of them, not all the time, because sometimes it feels like too much work, but I find it so valuable to listen to other people discuss things that I've thought about. And I want to just jump in half the time, you know? That's great. And uh, yes, I think that you are causing a a conversation or or creating a dialogue in an important time for them. And I'm guessing some of them might not even have social media profiles, but I'm, I'm assuming a lot of them do. And to have them think in a way critically beyond the way that they're thinking now is really in line with entrepreneurship, right? So I think that that's something valuable that was never, ever, ever taught when I was, I mean, I was a student and it's been five or six years or something at this point um, since I was in my, my internship and then master's degree. And that was never a conversation ever. Nobody ever talked about entrepreneurship. Because that was such a key time where it's really been picking up since then. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm 10 years, 11 years out of my master's degree. And I mean, gosh, we were barely using Blackboard or email then even. And so you just think about how quickly all this happens. And that's where the large organizations just can't keep up. And I'm not waiting around, you know, like we got to make sure students are up with what's happening in the real world when they're done and when they're ready. And I don't think we always get to everything in our education process as accurately as we should. Yeah. And yes, and, and I also have some strong feelings about internship too, because that is part of the education. Although, are you teaching internship courses or these are just part of the... Yes, the DPD, all of these are prerequisites for internships. So I don't deal with the actual, in, like once they're in the master's or they're in an internship at ASU, they're just taking normal classes. So I have them or I don't have them. But the internship is, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's, I, I feel it should be a requirement for the internship to, you know, have a social media component and they should, you know, they, I mean, that's what I believe my philosophy. It could only be helpful. I mean, and if you choose not to do social media, great, but if you're on it, you need education around it. I work with dietitians all the time who I just, I I meet them and then I go to their Instagram feed or whatever. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. What are we what are we doing here? And it's not about their family or whatever. It's just, they haven't thought about it. And you don't, you don't realize, especially I think for those new RDs that are coming into it, how quickly 
assumptions can be made. And, and again, we talk about that a lot with leadership, but just really putting your best foot forward. And also, and again, Libby, I don't want to get into your area, but we talked a little bit about that role that social media plays. It can play a really positive, really helpful role. And it can also play a really negative, really limiting role based on how dietitians decide they're going to build their audiences. So I think people need to be really careful and intentional, meaning are you, are you trying to get people to be more food phobic, more food specific, more food particular, because you're trying to help them live their best life or because you're trying to sell a product and a way of living and a means and an ideal that's maybe not realistic for everyone. Or are you there for information? Are you there for education? Are you trying to make people feel less confined around their food choices and how they feel about their body or whatever? And it seems like because we didn't do a lot of education around social media from the get-go as a profession. It's allowed for this really interesting kind of split in how people set up from a nutrition standpoint, where their viewpoint is on nutrition a lot of times. And I think that that gets really confusing for students and for the public at large when we all come from so many different ways of doing it. And I air quote this, right, you know, doing nutrition right or fueling our bodies right or making decisions around food right. Um, and if we don't help students to understand how powerful those quick messages can be in an instant, then it can really be harmful for what we're trying to put out there. Does that make sense what I'm, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I, I think it's a really important conversation. And I think oftentimes it's very easy for most of us, maybe less so you since you're a professor, but a lot of those who I help and talk to and clients and dietitians and that I you know, speak with and communicate on social media, we're all thinking about in the now. And I think it's important to pause and think about how fast, like you had mentioned, you know, the lack of email or the, the um, decrease in email use maybe 10 years ago. And I'm just referring to over the last five years, the evolution of social media, specifically Instagram, podcasting too, and, and what is that going to mean in three to five years from now with how we see food and nutrition from our lens as professionals and then from the, um, from the consumer's lens? And so she, having these conversations be clear now is important for the future of dietetics and not just like for the, in, in the moment. And I, I think that there are conversations that we're having sessions at Fancy and webinars and dialogues around this. It's, it's happening, but I just don't think it's happening fast enough and it's not happening enough on an, a level that we need it to happen, which is again, brings me back full circle to what Megan said about having students participate. All of us, whether you're a student or not, can get involved in the academy and just continue to have these dialogues and I guess get more aware of, of what some of the schools are teaching and, and what's related to entrepreneurship and how you can even be more strategic and intentional and sensitive when you're using social media and always think about, I always tell people to think about what your ideal client or, or what the consumers that you're marketing to, what would they be thinking and how can you try to be more um, aligned and intentional and sensitive to who you're marketing to and to the field in general. So. Exactly. And I think for two things, one, dietitians aren't being taught that. So they go out there ready to get followers or get likes or get sponsors, right? So the message becomes more about the outcome than it does the message. And that's hard to, to identify. It looks like a normal approach to utilizing social media if you're a student or you're a new RD. So being able to come from a place of authenticity, of nuance, of being specialized in an area 
won't necessarily hinder your ability to be successful, to have the followers, to get the likes, and you're going to do a lot less harm in that process. So again, they're just things we don't know how to talk about or explain, but Libby, I think maybe you should teach somewhere on some of this stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, I started teaching because I went to ASU and said, you don't have a graduate eating disorders class. Let me make one. And a year and a half later, they're like, we got it approved. And so again, I just keep sticking my nose in where people may not want me and hope that it helps. I'm not doing it for a reason other than seeing a need to try and help. Yeah. I love that. It's an incredible accomplishment to be able to find a need as a true sign of an entrepreneur, find a need, have it aligned with how you feel and then implement that and see it grow. Right. So your idea was a a baby in air quotes that became a a thing because now that that course, as you said, is expanding and it was just started with an idea for there to be a need for something that wasn't already filled among a population that's growing. So I love that. And I think it's a really practical reference for those of you listening to see that at many levels you can create that. My story would be that I just you know, created a dialogue around making multiple streams of income as a dietitian, and I turned that into a full-time business. And so that's my story. Megan shared hers. And, you know, we're all brought together through social media, whether it's through podcasting, Instagram, some of us through Facebook or Facebook groups. And I think it's just such an important time to think about the future and to really be present with your behavior and, and think beyond ex- exactly like what Megan said, beyond the, the vanity metrics, the likes and whatnot, and think about like the process and the message and the impact that you're leaving, like your digital footprint. So any other final thoughts that you want to leave us with, Megan, or you want to share um, today? I would encourage people in particular with Instagram and podcasts to get out there. If you think that you know what you want to do or where you're going to end up, or maybe you're even having some questions about what area of dietetics you're in right now. I think Instagram has some amazing professionals that are putting out some really new nuanced approaches to dietetics. Um, Lots of good messages, positive messages about being kinder to ourselves around food and our bodies. Um, And I'm loving all of that messaging, but to see it is one thing and to understand it is another. And I think you can see it in Instagram and you can see the discussions, but they can be kind of hard to to go through and it can be positive and really negative. And, and these, you find some good podcasters that you really like. And I think Libby could start with even some of your guests, you know, We've had a lot of guests with additional podcasts too, and kind of branch out from those safe spaces. And I say safe spaces, meaning somebody who is reliable, somebody who's been vetted, somebody who has good perspective, somebody who has an education and no podcast do I put on my class that I haven't listened to that I don't know either personally or professionally, or I'm aware of their work because you know, anybody can do a podcast, again, air quotes, but to do it well and to do it effectively and to make sure that you're doing it again with that intention can be hard to notice. So I just encourage students to ask questions. I encourage, even if you've been in your career for a long time and you're not satisfied, I promise you there are areas of dietetics out there um, that you probably will have a lot more passion and comfort with. You just haven't found it yet. So I think it's just an amazing platform and I would just encourage everybody to continue to be involved in ways that give them passion. And I think podcasts and social media can be a really nice way to find some of those things when you find yourself in a little bit of a rut or not clear on what your next steps are. That's where I get a lot of my inspiration too, a lot of times. 
I appreciate that reflection and your students again are lucky to have you and to have the course and opportunities that you offer them um, to really prepare them for, for just all the changes and evolution. So thank you for, for joining the episode today. Thank you so much, Libby. Thank you for joining today's episode. If you'd love to learn more about how to get leads online and turn prospective customers into clients, apply for my coaching. I still have a wait list. Go ahead and visit LibbyRothschild.com. That's www.LibbyRothschild.com. Go under signature service and apply for my wait list.